Good morning, everybody. It is so good to see you all here this Easter morning. Thank you for joining us. Today we celebrate the risen Lord, and it's just a, it's a joy to come together and to celebrate like this as a church family. If you're visiting for the first time, uh, welcome to our church. My name is Tim Park. I have the honor of serving as our lead pastor, and my hope is this, that by the time you're done visiting today, that you will have ex experienced the love of Jesus in this place, and I believe you will. God has uh, gathered a group of people here at Ephri Church that just uh, loves, loves one another and loves on people. And so thank you for being here. For jo those joining us online, a special welcome to you as well. And on this Easter 2023, I want to share a message that I've entitled, The Comforting Mercies of Easter. The Comforting Mercies of Easter. Because comfort is something that we all appreciate, especially when, when we're not feeling so well. If you have a fever, if you have a body ache of any kind, a headache, a neck ache, a back ache, a toothache, an earache, have I covered them all? Any ache. The one thing you want more than anything is relief from that discomfort. You want to feel comforted. If you have a stuffy nose, or a runny nose, or a persistent cough, and you're lying in bed trying to get comfortable, you know how miserable that can be. And so you wake up the next morning, because you haven't really slept, feeling miserable, and you're fatigued, because you just could not get comfortable. Trying to get a good night's sleep when you're not feeling well physically, it, it can feel like a daunting task. But we know that restlessness extends beyond just the physical. You see, because when we're feeling anxious, when we're feeling worried, when we're feeling afraid, stressed out, when we miss someone, we want to feel comforted. When we lie awake at night because we can't go to sleep, because we're worried about our finances, we're worried about our future, We're worried about our marriages, our children. When we lie awake at night, worried about our bank accounts, about loved ones, all kinds of things. It can feel overwhelming. When we're not feeling well in life, whether it be physically or emotionally, perhaps spiritually, it can feel Lonely. It can leave us feeling empty. Loneliness is not a good feeling. Emptiness is certainly not a good feeling. You see, when we're hungry and our stomachs are making those embarrassing noises, what we need is a candy bar. At least that's what Snickers tells us, right? Because you're not you when you're hungry. So you need that Snickers bar. How about an empty gas tank? Let's say you're on a long road trip and your gauge is close to that E, that red line, and you don't see a gas station for miles and miles. It can feel stressful. You feel nervous. But what about an empty bank account? Have you ever received an email notification from your bank and the subject line says, you've reached your minimum balance requirement? That, that's a worrying feeling. 
And emptiness can also make us feel sad. Let's say a child of yours goes away to college. And every time you walk down the hall in your house past your child's empty room, you feel sad. But at least you know that your child will come home during spring break or winter break. They'll open the door, Mom, Dad, I'm home. And they got their laundry with them. (laughs) Piles and piles of laundry. You're like, oh, happy day. But at least you get to see them again. But what if you have a closet full of your loved one's clothes that can never be worn again? Or what if you have an empty chair in your dining room that can never be occupied by that loved one again? That's the worst possible feeling of emptiness. If you're feeling empty in some way this morning on Easter 2023, God is ready to bring you comforting mercies. Now, how do I know that? Because I've experienced God's mercies in my life. In fact, every single day I experience God's mercies. And how do I know that he's ready to bring you comfort? Because I've talked to so many of you who've experienced God's mercies in your own life. And so if you're visiting our church today, maybe for the first time, maybe you're a guest of someone and you're from out of town, I invite you, as often as you can, come back here. And I'm confident of this, that you will find people here at our church who are ready to extend God's mercy to you. My family and I, we've been here at our church for just about 12 years, almost 12 years now. And from day one, when we stepped foot onto our campus, I experienced the mercy of God through his people in very practical ways. And so I encourage you to come back, see, and experience God's mercies. And so as we think about emptiness in our lives, While emptiness is often a bad thing, today we're going to celebrate emptiness, all right? We're going to celebrate empty because 2,000 years ago something happened, and that's why we're here today. And so in Luke chapter 24, we go back 2,000 years ago. Now I want to read to you starting in verse 1. It says here in Luke 24, verse 1, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Let's stop right there. It's early in the morning. The sun has not yet come up. A few of Jesus' followers, women to be exact, are on their way to the tomb. But their mood is somber. And their conversation is sad. Because the task before them is a sad one. They're going to anoint the dead body of Jesus. And so the women have been walking for about 30 minutes. And as the sun rises, in the distance on a hill, they see three crosses. Three empty crosses stained with blood. And those crosses remained on that Sunday morning because the day before was Saturday the Sabbath. No work was done on the Sabbath. So those three crosses still remained. As we celebrate the empty tomb today, 
we also need to remember the importance of the empty, blood-stained cross. You see, because it was on the cross that God demonstrated his greatest act of mercy when his only son died for my sins. Jesus Christ hung on the cross. He spilt his blood and he bore my sin. He took my place on the cross. Can I also tell you, he bore every one of your sins as well. Young or old, it doesn't matter how young or old we are, it doesn't matter who we are, Jesus died for our sins. It doesn't matter how cute you are. And here at our church, we have the cutest kids in the world. E-free kids, are, they are just super cute, aren't they over there? Yes. Right, they're not biased over there. As cute as E-free kids are, and they are cute, they need Jesus. Some of you parents, you're like, yes, they need Jesus. My kid needs Jesus. Lord, help me. Come to my rescue. I need you to help my kids. We all need Jesus because we are all in need of forgiveness. And that's the significance of the empty cross. When you and I think of the bloodstained cross, it's a reminder of God's mercy. When Jesus went to the cross, here's what happened. God took all our debt. He basically took our account and he transferred it to Jesus. He took my debt and said, you know what? I got this. No need to pay it off because you cannot pay it off. No matter how much you try, my son now has your debt. And God, that day, took the blood of Jesus and he wrote over all of our names, every one of our names, he wrote, forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. That's what Jesus did on the cross. And so we cannot forget the cross on this Resurrection Sunday. Let's go back to the women. After pausing briefly, viewing the crosses, they continue. And as they walk along, one of them wonders aloud, who will move the stone for us? You see, because the stone that covered the opening of the tomb, it was about two tons. And as, as if that wasn't heavy enough, they had it sealed. The Romans sealed the stone just to make sure no one would take Jesus' body. Now, in that culture, here's what we want to know. After a criminal was executed, the criminal's body was brought down, and then they would bury the criminal's body somewhere out in an open field with no ceremony, and they just cover that body with rocks and dirt. That's it. But that wasn't the case with Jesus. You see, because there was a man by the name of Joseph, of Arimathea. He went to Pilate and he asked Pilate if he could be responsible for taking care of Jesus' body. Joseph of Arimathea was an important, prominent man. 
But more importantly, he was a secret follower of Jesus. And so he wanted to bring Jesus' body down and give him the respectful funeral he so deserved. There was another man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was another influential, prominent religious ruler. Nicodemus was also a secret follower of Jesus during his ministry. But here's what happened. When Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, an esteemed rabbi, when they experienced the death of Jesus on the cross, they knew that it was no ordinary death. It was a supernatural death. And at that moment, they could no longer hide their faith. They wanted the entire world to know that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate. Nicodemus says, I'm going to pay for the funeral spices and the ointments. Now, those things were expensive. You and I, we might know how expensive funerals are, right? Same thing back then. The spices and ointments for a funeral, it was an extraordinarily expensive amount. Reminiscent of Mary of Bethany, who anointed Jesus by breaking open that expensive bottle. That was her entire life's savings. And so when Nicodemus says, I'm going to pay for my Lord's funeral spices, funeral spices and ointments, what he was saying was, my Jesus is worth it. And so, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they gave Jesus the proper burial. Here's the thing about the tomb. Back then, families would often have what was called a family tomb. So all the family members would be buried in the same tomb. Today, right, oftentimes families, they will purchase their a grave sites in advance. And oftentimes, families are often buried together. Back then, they would have a family tomb. Check this out. Joseph of Arimathea gave up his family tomb so that Jesus could be buried in it. Let's go back to the women. Luke chapter 24, verse 2 says this. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Jesus had risen. He was alive. The tomb was empty. And what a tremendous promise that holds for us today. You see, in the fact of the empty tomb is the truth of the resurrection that Jesus is alive. And the promise is this, that if we put our faith in him, we too will experience the resurrection in our own lives. We too will be raised to life. To those who know Jesus Christ today, death has lost its sting. It is no longer something to be feared. Now, 
I know that in life, uh, we all fear something. We don't all fear the same thing, but every one of us fears something. Who fears spiders? Anybody? All right, th th those hands went up quickly. <laughs> yes, people fear spiders. Anybody fear needles, like getting shot? Yes. That produces a lot of anxiety for a lot of people. Anybody fear roller coasters right here? Yes, right here? I'm too old for roller coasters. <laughs> Anybody fear mice? Yes. Now, this, this week I saw a YouTube video of a subway in New York City, and somebody recorded a mouse in one of the cars, and then the camera went up and panned to everybody, and they were all standing on the subway seats holding on for dear life. We all fear something. And then there are those who fear even just getting out of bed in the morning. And then there are those who fear growing old, alone. Nobody wants to face death. But if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, please know that God brings comforting mercies and we don't have to fear death because death for the follower of Jesus Christ is not the end. Let's go back to the women one more time. After the angel spoke these things, they immediately went back to the apostles. And here's what they reported. Verse 9. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now, leave it to Peter to rush to the tomb. You see, because Peter had this act now, think later approach to life. Some people, some of you, you have this act now, think later approach, right? Some of you are like, well, it's better to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission, right? So you just do it and you deal with it later. In some cases, it backfired on Peter. But in other cases, his boldness paid off. So in this case, he said, I'm going to go see for myself. So he rushes into the tomb and he sees the burial clothes lying there empty. And that makes sense. You see, because if you're living, why would you, worry, why would you wear burial clothes? When you're alive, you don't walk around in dead people's clothing. Now, as I look around this worship center, I see a lot of beautiful outfits on this Easter Sunday. You all look wonderful. You're ready to take your photo on our photo wall. You all look beautiful. Now, there's something special about Easter that gives us a biblical reason to go shopping. Now, hear me out here. 
in the first century, new Christians would often be baptized on Easter Sunday. And to comm commemorate their baptism, what they would do is they would often wear a new article of clothing. So they would go out and they would purchase a new article to wear on Easter Sunday, Baptism Sunday, because that new article of clothing signifies their new life in Christ. So there you go. Shopping is biblical. Some of you are like, yes, amen. Amen. And you're like, yes, honey, amen. The reality is clothing is a big part of Easter. After all, we want to look nice because it's such an important day. You know, the Bible talks about clothing. In Colossians 3, verse 12, it says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. When Jesus went to the cross, he demonstrated the ultimate act of compassion and kindness. When Jesus went to the cross, he humbled himself. He let go of his privileges in heaven. When he went to the cross, he was our gentle savior. When he went to the cross, he was telling you and me, I am patient, I'm waiting for you. Colossians 3 tells us everything we need to know about our Savior. And Colossians 3 is God's prescription for us if we call ourselves Christ followers. When Jesus rose from the grave, when he took off the burial clothes, he made it possible for us to experience victory. Victory in our lives by putting on a whole new outfit. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't put on a whole new outfit to then stay at home and sit around on my sofa all day. Church, I did not put on this suit to stay home, all right? I didn't put on this tie, as uncomfortable as it might be, to stay home and lounge around. Now, yes, I might go home later on and fall asleep on my sofa. But let's face it. We're usually dressing ourselves for some others. We're putting on clothes for other people. Think back to 2020. All our meetings took place on Zoom. Every gathering was on Zoom. And so, here's what we would do. We would go to our closet. We'd find a decent-looking top. And we'd put on that shirt, that blouse, and it didn't matter what we were wearing down here as long as the camera was just up here. So did you know that every one of my meetings in 2020, all my meetings with you, I had a nice shirt on, maybe a sweater, and then I had my most comfortable sweat bottoms on. That's how we dressed in 2020. We got half-dressed. But now that we've gone back to seeing one another in person, it is not enough to be half-dressed. God calls us to put on a whole 
new outfit. And we're to put on the best for him. And so on this Easter Sunday, 2023, you and I have the opportunity today to extend the mercy that we've received from God to everyone else we come into contact with. Again, if there are any of you here today who are feeling a bit empty, if you're worried, anxious, stressed, afraid, can I invite you back? Invite, I'd like to invite you back to our church next Sunday. And I am confident that you will find a community ready to lift you up, ready to encourage you in your walk. You see, because when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, here's what happens. It doesn't stop right there. We also receive a new community ready to do life with. That's because salvation was never meant to be an individual event. When we come to faith in Christ, he gives us a whole new community to do life with. A week from tomorrow, so in two Mondays, April 17, I have the privilege of running in the Boston Marathon again this year. But I want to take you back to my Boston Marathon experience in 2020. Now, I mean, before I share this, let me just say this. Uh, for most of my life, I could not stand running. So uh, if you don't like running, good for you, okay? Don't run. It can be miserable if you don't like it. But... Going back to 2020, most of the events in the world were either canceled or they went virtual, right? So the Boston Marathon went virtual. What that meant was this, that those of us who qualified for the marathon, we didn't travel to Boston. The organizers said, hey, wherever you live in the world, you need to run the 26.2 miles on your own. Wear a GPS watch. The watch will track your mileage and time, and then it'll be uploaded to the Boston Marathon website. So that's what we were tasked to do. We had to come up with our own plan, our own course, and to run it virtually by ourselves. So the course that I mapped out was this. I started in Yorba Belinda along the Santa Ana River Trail, and then I would run west, paralleling the 91 freeway, and then the 57 south, paralleling that freeway. And then eventually I would run all the way down underneath the 405 freeway and then end up in Huntington Beach, 26.2 miles. So that was the course. Running a marathon is difficult. Running a marathon on your own is not only difficult, it can be dangerous. Because what happens if something goes wrong and nobody's there to help? to come to your aid. So when I was planning to run this, a few dear friends here at church, they reached out to me and said, Tim, don't run it on your own. It's too dangerous. You need people there. And so I asked four of my buddies to accompany me on their bicycles. So they rode with me all 26.2 miles, and they served as my crew. And then my family members of our life group, members of our staff, dear friends here at our church, they started showing up along 
the course. And they brought posters that they wrote to cheer me on. They had balloons and they had oranges in little baggies for me and bananas and Gatorade and water and cold towels because it was a humid day. They had cowbells and pom-poms. Little kids were like, go, Pastor Tim, go, go, Pastor Tim, go. For 26.2 miles, that group of supporters, they'd get in their cars, meet me at one checkpoint. I'd wave as I ran by. They'd see me for a couple seconds. They'd get in their cars, drive five, six miles down, get out, and do the same thing over again. And they were there waiting for me at the finish line. When you run a marathon, there's something of a phenomenon that happens at around mile 20. It's called the wall. And when you hit the wall, figuratively, what it is is after running 20 strenuous miles, your body becomes depleted of glycogen. And what happens is when you're running on empty, your muscles seize up. So around mile 22 or so, my entire body locked up. I fell straight back. I couldn't move. My friends on the bikes, they rushed off their bikes, and they kept stretching my legs, massaging them. One of them pulled out a massage gun. I was like, wow, God bless you. <laughs> that he had the, the, in, the foresight to bring a massage gun. And so after they worked on me for several minutes, I was able to finally get up and limp my way to the finish line. I want to show you a, a small portion of that video. As you watch this, don't mind me, okay? Because I look, I'm a mess, okay? So don't look at me. I'm sweaty, you know, uh, my, I have a bad hair day. It's, it's just a bad day, okay? I'm limping. But what I want you to see in this video, I just want you to, to watch all the supporters, this community of believers who came out to come to my aid and rescue. Let's watch. I tell you, how could I not finish with all those people there? 
Around mile 20, I was about ready to give up. I said, you know what? I, I, can't, go any, I can't go on anymore. But I thought, wait a minute. All these people came out. They're at the finish line waiting for me. <laughs> How could I not finish? And, and it's no accident that the New Testament talks so much about running the race and compares life to a race. And the thing about a marathon is it was not meant to be run alone. So when I crossed the finish line, the thought that went through my mind was, we did it together. We did it together. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, what happens is salvation is lived out together. It was never meant to be lived alone. So if you were hurting, if you were empty, if your spiritual glycogen level is down today, I invite you back next week. Come experience the mercy of Jesus in our church. I know that you will find it. And perhaps some of you here today, you need Jesus. You need Jesus in your life. You are in need of a Savior. And I want to give you that opportunity to begin a relationship with Jesus on Easter Sunday. In Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, it says this, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by God's, or it is by grace, you have been saved. So if you would like to experience eternal life today, we want to give you that opportunity. I invite you to say a simple yet genuine prayer. I have a favor to ask. If you can bow with me at this time. If you would like to experience life to its fullest, the way God intended, to be in relationship with him and with others in the community of Christ, would you say this prayer along with me? You can quietly mouth those words. You can say them in your heart. But would you repeat these words? God, I want to experience your mercy today. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. I believe you are a God who is rich in mercy. And I give you my life to you today. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that he died on the cross for my sins, for all of our sins, that he rose from the grave. And because of that event, we have the opportunity to experience life eternal. Death is no longer to be feared. So thank you. Thank you for this gathering here. I pray that everyone here will experience your mercy today and the love of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.